Jesus is the bread of life who gives everlasting life to all who come to him and without fail will raise all of them to eternal glory. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Well, as you know, this is Labor Day weekend. Uh, Labor Day was created as a federal holiday in 1894, and it recognizes the contributions of the labor movement but honors the workers then who have labored hard to build our nation. And also, though, sadly, it is the unofficial end of summer, but it does mean that the beautiful fall season is coming, though, as well. And with this unofficial end of summer, I'm reminded here once again, how many of you are like me, and you had some things on your summer to-do list, and maybe you got some of those things done, but maybe there might be an item or two that you didn't quite get done on your summer to-do list. Anybody here like that? Okay, there's a few of us here, right? And that, and I'm one of those people. Any, any other list makers? Do we have any list makers here? I am, a, I am a perennial and incessant list maker. I have to have a list for everything. And how many of you are like me? You actually have sublists of your lists, right? You have your list, and then underneath that, there's a sublist. And there might even be a few. There might even be a sublist under the su- a sub sublist, if you will. How many of you are that bad? Are you like me? Okay, I'm the worst. So apparently I am the worst here with that here. But uh, with that, though, with making these lists and so forth, I have to admit that I don't always get everything done that I want to or that I intend to get done. But I want to tell you, though, here today, we're here to celebrate the fact that God always gets done what he intends to do, doesn't he? He never fails to finish. He doesn't start and not finish a project. He always completes every project he starts. And did you know that he has started a great project in you? If your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, your salvation is absolute and total and complete in him, but you are not yet experiencing it in its fullness. But I want you to rest assured that God is not going to quit on that. He's not going to fail to finish that work of redemption that he has begun in you. And so we can give thanks for that, that God's labor on our behalf is not ceased here then today. Well, we are here then today on this Labor Day weekend, not to discuss the labor movement, but rather than to discuss folks then who never take a break from their labor. Labor Day is a break from our work, our physical work, But sadly, though, there are some folks, though, who never take a break from their religious works, that is, from their efforts to somehow work hard enough in order to earn favor from God. So for them, it's not a labor day. For them, you might say it's a labor life, that there are some people that they labor their entire lives They never stop working hard trying to earn their salvation or trying to earn God's love or trying to earn God's blessing or God's favor, trying to earn God's grace. And when you think about that just for a moment, earning God's grace, that's a contradiction in terms right there, isn't it? Because grace is what? Unearned, right? 
It is a gift of God's marvelous goodness then. But there are folks then that think that they have to do certain things in order to achieve or come to a place of acceptance with God, earn their salvation, earn their life, work certain works of religious practice in order to be forgiven for their sins and given the gift of eternal life. But the Bible is very clear that we cannot earn our salvation, that we cannot do religious works in order to achieve forgiveness and merit eternal life. But you know, there were a lot of people, there were a lot of people in Jesus' day who thought that they could and they must, that they must work hard, they must do certain things, follow certain religious rituals in order to have God's favor, in order to have God's blessing. They must work hard, work hard to achieve, to accomplish, in order to earn God's love and forgiveness. But fortunately, no one thinks like that today, though, right? Nobody thinks that way anymore. And nobody in our church thinks that way, right? Or do we? Well, we are continuing in our series in today, Unique, the Life, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are using as our text here this beautiful harmoning of the Gospels. It's all four Gospel accounts put together into one flowing account in chronological order of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Looking today, then, at the bread of life, and our text is coming from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 22 through 40. Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 22 through 40. And this is the key theme or idea that I want us to take away from our message here today, is that Jesus is the bread of life who gives everlasting life to all who come to him and without fail will raise all of them to eternal glory. Boy, that's double good news there, isn't it? That is double good news. Jesus will give everlasting life to all who will come to him in faith. But also then he will, without fail, complete the redemption of every single one who does truly come to him. And he will, without fail, raise us all to eternal glory. And that is wonderful good news to celebrate as well here today. Before we look at our text here, a little context, our text is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And John's Gospel has a special emphasis on the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, all of the Gospels, of course, present Jesus as the God-man. He is God. He is human as well. But John has a special emphasis, though, on the deity of Jesus, that Jesus is God, that he is Yahweh, that he is the eternal I am sovereign Lord. As we mentioned in our communion service earlier, John records seven I am statements of Jesus in which he identifies himself as God. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. Which reminds me once again that we've said sometimes people have questions that said, well, Jesus 
really didn't claim to be God, did he? You know, that's just something people have imposed upon him. But I want to ask you again, it's very, very clear in Scripture that Jesus indeed claimed to be God, didn't he? Because I want to just amend, just for example, just those I am statements. I want you to think maybe of a, a Bible teacher or someone that you respect, that you look up to a lot, okay? Imagine, for example, I like Erwin uh, Lutzer. He was pastor at Moody Church for many years. I love listening to his sermons, all right? And listening to those sermons, imagine if he were to stand up, if he were to stand up at that pulpit and say, I am the bread of life, right? I am the light of the world, I, Erwin Lutzer, am the door to heaven. I, Erwin Lutzer, am the good shepherd. I, Erwin Lutzer, I am the resurrection and the life, and I will raise up in the end all who come to me. Wouldn't be a very good teacher, would he? Right, okay. Jesus is, but Jesus said those things, and it's true because he is God. He is all of those, isn't he? And besides those seven metaphors, then, that you see, there are also a couple of other statements I am in the, in the scriptures in the Gospel of John. In the conversation with the religious officials, Jesus said, before Abraham was born, what? I am. And they understood what he was claiming, because what did they do? They picked up rocks to stone him because they thought he had committed blasphemy. Because that would be blasphemy, wouldn't it, for a mere human being to claim to be the I am sovereign Lord of the universe. But in Jesus' case, it was true. Also then, I've always been fascinated by this moment here, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when arresting soldiers had come for Jesus, and they asked him if he was Jesus of Nazareth, he said, I am. And what happened to the guards? They fell backwards then, didn't they? So Jesus is the great I am, sovereign Lord. But prior to the events in our text today, Jesus had fed the 5,000. He had walked on water, crossing from the east side of the Sea of Galilee back over to the western shore. And then John tells us what happened next. We're told, On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone, however, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, And said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. 
because God the Father has set his seal on him. And then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? What do we have to do? What works do we have to do? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. So Jesus says, Oh, okay, you want to work for your salvation? Okay, what, what works must you do? Well, there's only one work. Here's, here's the work. Here's the work God requires. What? Believe. Believe. So I want to look here at the work of God. You know, the, the crowd who had been fed by Jesus through the miraculous multiplication of the fish and the loaves, they were still over on the, on the eastern side of the sea. And they saw him tell his disciples to get into the boat, and it was the only boat there, and to go to the other side. And since Jesus did not get into the boat, they supposed that he was still there somewhere. And after some time, they realized that he was no longer there. Well, where is it? Where did he go? Meanwhile, some boats from Tiberias on the western shore had come to where they were, had landed there. And so the people decided then to go look for Jesus in Capernaum. They got into the boats and went back over to the other side to Capernaum then. And when they got to the other side, they saw him there. And they asked him, when did you get here? Imagine that was a, a little bit of a surprise. They're looking for him. They're wondering, you know, as far as they knew, he was still there. And now they go there, and it's like, when did you get, how did you get here? But notice, Jesus doesn't tell them how he got there. He doesn't say, oh, I walked on the water. No, he didn't do that. That was a private sign for his disciples. But Jesus knows what's in their heart. They're seeking after him. Now, are they seeking after him because they want to hear the words of spiritual life, that they were seeking him out to know God, to know God's light and love, to hear the words of, of life, of spiritual life. Now, Jesus knew that wasn't what was in their hearts. What was in their heart? They were looking for the wonder worker, the miracle worker who was doing these things and who had just given them a great free meal. Looking for another free meal. Looking for a handout. Literally, right? So Jesus begins then with these solemn words. He say, most assuredly, truly, truly, I say to you to draw their attention to the importance of what he was about to say. And he rebukes them then for their materialistic, earthly motivation and their lack of spiritual perception says they saw these signs they saw these miraculous signs but it wasn't registering to them what it meant and said instead they saw what a free meal they failed to see what it signified and then jesus then knows what's in their hearts and he says do not labor for the food that perishes 
Now, he was not condoning laziness. He wasn't saying, don't work hard. But he's saying, what? Get your priorities straight here. Don't labor for the food that perishes, but rather what? We should be expending ourselves in pursuit of the food that does not perish, spiritual food, spiritual sustenance. People should expend their efforts for that which will last forever. Now, the people hearing this crowd, they're hearing labor and working. Okay, don't work for physical food, but rather what? Work for spiritual food. Oh, okay, so there's works I have to do in order to get spiritual food, right? They still weren't quite getting it. But Jesus wasn't saying we have to work to obtain spiritual food. Jesus knows there's more, though, than just physical needs. We have spiritual needs. Remember in the wilderness temptation, Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but what? On every word that comes from the mouth of God. Physical food is short-lived, but spiritual food is that which leads to eternal life. So don't labor or work for physical food, rather labor or work for spiritual food, which is ultimately Christ himself. God the Father authenticated Jesus' claim that he is true heavenly food through the sign. So the people recognized that Jesus was saying that God had a requirement for them, and they wanted to do this requirement. They wanted to do this God's requirement if he would inform them of what it was Because they believed that they could please God and obtain eternal life by doing good works. But Jesus' response to their question was a flat contradiction of their thinking. They could not please God by simply doing good works. And then, in fact, there is really, there is only one work of God. There is only one thing that God requires and that was what believe faith they needed to put their trust in the one the father has sent see because of their sin people cannot please god by doing good works for salvation and so god demands that people recognize their inability to save themselves and to receive his gift. Now this is a kind of a, in their minds, a radical thing that Jesus is saying. What do you mean I, I can't do good works to, to, to earn favor or blessing? What do you mean I, I simply have to just believe and, 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 and believe in you, Jesus? Believe that, that you came from God. I need to simply believe in you and that's it? And they stumbled over that. People stumble over that today, don't they? Thinking, okay, believe plus what? Do what? If you look at the the history of world religions, and sadly there's an element even within the Christian faith, it's what? It's a legacy of what? Of, Of faith? No, of what? Works. What do I have to do to be right with you, God? 
Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that God has not established in his word things we should be doing (laughs) and things we should not do. But the point is what? Is that we cannot do in order to earn that acceptance with God. It can come only by faith. And so they think Jesus is making a pretty radical statement here. And they said, well, you know what? We're going to need a little evidence, a little proof here that we should trust what you're saying. At this point, I'm thinking, I don't know about you here, but, but they ask him, well, what sign do you perform that we should believe you? And I'm thinking, have you seen all these other things? They were there for feeding the 5,000, right? They'd seen all these healings. They'd seen all that. And now they're saying, okay, let's see a sign. But isn't that so human? Isn't that just like us? But I think there's a reason for it, though. We'll get to that in just a moment. Let's continue with our text here. It says, Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, truly, truly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose, what? Nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So we see the work of God and the bread of life here. The people demanded a miraculous sign from Jesus in order to authenticate this seemingly radical statement that they cannot do works to earn God's favor and that they must simply believe in him. And see, they thought then that they they must see him do something and then they would believe. But in reality, it doesn't work that way, does it? Do people see something, see God do something, and then believe always? Is that how it works? In fact, oftentimes God's order is the reverse, isn't it? God's order is believe, and then you will see. Believe, and then you will understand. But they did not have faith or spiritual perception. But they did understand Jesus was saying something new to their minds. And of course, this notion of salvation by faith and not by works, it really was not new. 
Is salvation by faith and not by works, is that something new in the New Testament era? Was it salvation by works in the Old Testament era and then it became faith in the new? No, it was always by what? Faith. But to them, it sounded new. Why? Because of the traditions of men that had twisted and distorted the word of God to them. But now Jesus is coming and he's saying this, and it is an advance in their thinking over what Moses had done. And so their reasoning here, I think, is, as they said, okay, well, if you're improving on Moses, if, if you're saying something, if you're more than Moses, well, then do something more than Moses did. Now, yeah, okay, we saw that you fed the 5,000 there, okay? Yeah, we saw that. But, you know, Moses... He fed an entire nation, the manna from heaven. He fed a nation of millions of people for 40 years. I think that has more merit, if you will, than, than we, we should believe Moses. because And Moses said, works, right? No, he didn't. But, <laughs> but that's what was in their minds. And he fed millions for 40 years. And now you're going to come on and upend all of that and say, you know, well, I fed 5,000 once. You see, that's why they're asking, okay, let's see. Let's see. Show us something here, Jesus. So, they had missed a couple of things, though. First, many of the Israelites who were fed for 40 years, did they all believe? Did they see the manna and all believe? No. Many of them did not believe. Once again, it's a reminder. Sometimes they think, if God would just show himself, or just, just make it more obvious, then people would believe. Is that true? Nope. Sometimes, in fact, they become even more hardened in their unbelief, don't they? Because the important thing here is not the magnitude of the sign, but the perception or the understanding of its meaning, its significance. Second, then, both Moses and Jesus were authenticated by God's signs, and therefore, they should both be listened to and believed. And in a solemn revelation here, once again, Jesus corrected their thinking in three ways, in three ways. First, Moses didn't feed them. Who fed them? The Father. The Father, not Moses, gave the manna. Second, the father was still giving manna. Not merely in the past, he was still giving manna or spiritual sustenance. And third then, the true manna, the true bread from heaven, is Jesus. Not the manna. The true bread is Jesus, not the manna. And thus then, the supposed superiorities of Moses and his sign vanish. Manna was food for the body and it was useful, but Jesus is God's full provision for people in their whole existence. Jesus repeatedly said that he had come down from heaven. God is the source of all life. Jesus the Son has life in himself and he has come to give real and lasting life to people. Sin cuts people off from God who is life. 
and they die spiritually and physically. But Christ has come down from heaven to give life to the world because Jesus is the genuine bread of God. And yet the crowd did not perceive that Jesus is the genuine bread which he had been describing. They were still thinking in physical terms. Like the woman at the well, remember Jesus said he would give her water. She would never need to draw again. And she said, oh, I I want this water. I don't have to keep coming here, right? And they too, well, they wanted this food. They wanted it continually from now on, like the manna which had lasted for 40 years. Not like the manna which had only lasted for 40 years. But this food Jesus spoke of, this bread, is a person, not a commodity. The bread is himself. And once someone is in a right relationship to Jesus, he or she finds a satisfaction which is everlasting. It's not temporal. You ever had a good meal? You loved it, it was delicious, and it filled you up, and you were satisfied with it. But in time, you became hungry again, right? Because that meal, that physical food, cannot sustain you forever and ever. You need to keep eating, right? But Jesus, you feast on him through faith in him one time, and you will never need to eat again. You don't get saved so, and then get saved again tomorrow and then get saved again next week, right? He sustains us forever. So... Jesus, then, is the bread of life. He is necessary for man's everlasting life. And Jesus said, whoever comes to him will never go hungry and will never be thirsty. Now understand, Jesus is not saying that once we come to him and we have faith in him, we will never be spiritually hungry again. We will never need to feast on God's word. That's not true, right? We, we do need that. But he's saying what? When you come to him, you will never, you don't need to keep looking for salvation again, that that he is the final answer and fulfillment. You will never go hungry. You will never be thirsty. The The word there, never, is emphatic. It means never, no way, no how, no sir. When you come to faith in Jesus then, you will never, no way, no how, no sir, go hungry. Because he will fill you and satisfy you forever. See, when Jesus gives eternal life, there's no need for anything or anyone more. He is the total satisfaction of all of our eternal needs. Jesus then rebukes the crowd for their lack of faith. And yet they had the great privilege of seeing him, and yet they did not believe Seeing does not necessarily lead to believing, does it? Why is that? They saw these incredible things Jesus did, and yet they did not believe. Why? Because of their hearts, the hardness of their hearts. And that is true. But there's something more, there's something deeper. Jesus gives the ultimate explanation for their lack of faith. We hear in, in doing so, he gives the promise, the, the promise is sovereign completion. He says the Father works sovereignly in people's lives. 
that there is an election of God, which is the Father's gift to the Son. And the Son has no concern that his work will be ineffective, for the the Father will enable people to come to Jesus. And the one who comes to Jesus then will by no means be cast out. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, a true, regenerating, saving faith in Jesus Christ, no way, no how, no sir, will you ever be cast out. Jesus then repeats his claim about coming from heaven. He says the reason he came from heaven was to do the will of the Father who sent him. And what is the Father's will? As he says, the Father's will is that all those whom he gives to the Son will not suffer a single loss and all will be raised to life in the resurrection. This is a powerful passage, isn't it? Affirming the security of the genuine believer, the eternal security of the genuine believer. If you're a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, you cannot lose that life that you have been given. We can lose reward. (laughs) We can come under God's discipline. But you cannot lose that gift of eternal life. Because the one who sees and believes on Jesus for salvation has his or her eternal destiny secure. And God's decree has ensured it. The person who believes has eternal life and maybe will be, maybe will be raised. No, the one who believes in Jesus has eternal life and what? And will be raised to glory without the loss of a single one. Isn't that great news? That gets wonderful news. Amen to that. Well, so what? What do you want me to do? Well, I would remind us, Jesus is the bread of life who gives everlasting life to all who come to him and without fail will raise all of them to eternal glory. So I'd say, believe. What is the work of God? What, must, what work must we do in order to be in right relationship with God, have forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life? Well, there's only one work that you must do, and what is it? Believe. Believe. Put your trust in Christ, in his perfect life, his substitutionary death, his death on the cross for us, taking the judgment for our sins, his death, his burial, and his resurrection Put your trust in him, your faith in him. Turn away from self-reliance and efforts and good works and all of that and simply believe in his good work for you. Believe for everlasting, eternal life. Does that mean that once we believe, then we can just sit around and do nothing and praise Jesus all day? No, well, we should praise Jesus all day. But... We don't do nothing. We should work, right? There's a place for work, our effort in our lives. But what? It's not to earn salvation or to earn God's love. But for what? For reward, for a reward. To honor him. We work to honor him. Our works then are the evidence of our new life in Christ. Not the basis of our new life in Christ. They're the evidence of our new life in Christ. 
And there's something then that God is eager to reward. We believe for life. We work for a, we believe for everlasting life. We work for a rewarded life. And to honor him, it's the evidence of true faith. But then we rest. We rest in Christ's sovereign life. Isn't it good to know that if you've truly believed, God will never, no way, no how, ever cast you out or throw you out. And he absolutely will, without fail, raise most of us who believe. No, he will, without fail, raise all who believe. Without fail. That is your hope. That is my hope in Christ. That's good news. So as we celebrate Labor Day this weekend, we're taking a break from our labors. Let's endeavor to take a permanent break from our labors to try to earn God's love or favor or forgiveness. And realize there's only one work, and that work is to do what? To believe. And let's celebrate then, too, that we can rest from that work of trying to earn God's favor and we can celebrate that God himself has done the work and he's going to finish what he has started. God, I've got a few things on my summer to-do list that are probably going to get transferred to fall or maybe next summer, right? God's to-do list. See, God's a list maker too. You know that? He's, we see it in the scriptures, all the, the list of things he's going to do, right? And he absolutely will accomplish all of them for you on your behalf. I'd say that is worthy of his praise and his thanksgiving, isn't it? So let's take a break from our physical labor this weekend, but let's take a permanent break from our works righteousness labor and rest in Christ and his sovereign life and the hope that he will indeed finish all that he has started. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this hope we have in Jesus Christ. We know, Lord, that there is nothing that we can do to earn up our place of acceptance before you, that it is all what Jesus did for us. So we thank you, Lord. We take a break from that labor now, Lord. And we find in you our rest, our eternal rest and hope. Thank you that you're going to finish the good work that you have started in each one of us. May we give you the thanks and praise and honor you are due today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.